welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, where we talk to professors and scholars at the American University of Beirut to discuss their research, why it's interesting, why it matters, what they're discovering, and what it means for the world. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Thank you for being with us. Our guest this week is Dr. Rima Majid, Assistant Professor of Sociology with a focus on political sociology. And she has been working on issues of sectarianism and social movements and other related fields. Professor Majid, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. So you're focused on sectarianism and social movements, political protests, which is the biggest story in the Arab world right now. So what are you researching? Where is your research focus? Why are you looking at these topics? So I started looking at social movements and um, sectarianism almost 10 years ago when I started my PhD. And I've been interested in uh, the intersections between street mobilization, political economy and identity politics. Of course, I was very excited in 2011. I had already started working on the topic for, for a few years, but it's really the second wave of uprisings in 2019 that got my research very clearly involved in what is happening because I've been studying Lebanon and Iraq uh, for a while. So I'm working on a book project where I'm looking at street mobilization or street politics. I'm trying to, to argue that although the first wave of, of the uprisings have uh, exploded a literature on you know, change from below, on the uh, street mobilization as movements for change, for uh, you know, oppositional movements, etc. And what I, what I was doing before that started uh, was I was looking at how street mobilization actually can reproduce uh, regimes and systems. When you say reproduce, you mean change them? Reproduce them or keep or them. Keep them. Yeah. Um, so uh, and this is where I. So this is actually the puzzle I'm looking at. Uh, so I'm trying to go a bit the other way, not against, but around the literature to look at mobilization in the streets. Of course, is very powerful, and of course there is power from below. But the question is, how do we channel this power, to, you know, to reach political change, and how, in many cases, this can be co-opted to actually reproduce or um, entrench even more the systems that we already have. And the case of Lebanon and Iraq are two interesting ca uh, cases to look at, specifically because uh, unlike, again, the first wave where it was mainly countries that had, you know, dictatorships or at least one ruler, these are what we call consociational democracy settings where there isn't one clear dictator, right. uh, but it's a system where identity politics is, is very much uh, enmeshed within the system and therefore it makes the chances for change, the tactics that we use, and the possibility for that uh, a bit different than other places. So, so one has to look at uh, the political economy of, of uh, those sectarian systems, clientelism, how it gets reproduced in, in elections, what does democracy mean in those settings, is, it, uh, is, is ballot democracy uh, really the way these populations can change? Or is it the streets? Or is it both? Or is it neither? <laughs> wow. right? So one has to really look at, at those things. And I've, be, I've become more and more, the more I've been uh, uh, researching that, the more I've, I've become interested in looking at organization 
and organization of the protest or the social, social movements, movements? Or organizations but also what it means after the, the initial moment of the mobilization so uh, where are the political parties uh, where are the unions so when we talk about social organization right and in cases of economic collapse like uh, what we're seeing in Lebanon today who defends the population who defends uh, ordinary people throughout the years uh, I've collected a data set of protest events that have happened in Lebanon since the day the Ta'if was signed mm -hmm. until today. So I have around 30 years of uh, uh, what we call event data set on protests. And I've been looking at the trends uh, and how things have been changing since then. And it's uh, I mean one, of the, one of the things that, that are striking uh, is that we always think about social movements or protests as civil society, right? And what I find is that those who mobilize most at least uh, during the time period I'm looking at, are political parties. And these are the ruling political parties? The ruling political parties. Uh, and also, uh, during the 90s specifically, it was unions. Right. Um, so but the unions were very much controlled by the until political Until 96. Elites. Yeah. Right? Uh, and 96, so before 96, there was actually a, a strong labor movement that was not completely co-opted. After 96, it became, uh, you know, co-opted and mm -hmm. repressed uh, by, by the system. But before then, and this is why I was just recently looking at what happened in 92 when, when the currency collapsed, and I was trying to, to compare to what is happening now. And it's very clear back then that uh, unions had a big role to play. They did not necessarily uh, drastically change the reality, but they were able to pressure and they were able to sit on the negotiation table, mm -hmm. with, which we don't see today. Today it's the Bankers Association that sits on the table and it's not the other side, right? right. And this is what, what, what has happened throughout the years. I, I think it's a, it's a very tired term, but uh, for lack of a better one, the process of NGOization. Mm. And, uh, you know, not, in the, uh, not to criticize it in the cliched way, we, we know why it happened. And one has to look at, you know, how neoliberalism has also changed uh, the face of activism. But it, it created a new type of, you know, organizations that do not have this power or leverage to, uh, to negotiate or to pressure the same way either unions or political parties. And political parties, I mean, uh, it, it has a bad connotation in the context of uh, either Lebanon or Iraq in both countries. You know, there's, a, there's almost a fetish with what we call civil society or civil in general. Right. Uh, uh, you know, the demand for a civil state because we, cannot, we don't want to say a non-sectarian, uh, although civil is not necessarily non-sectarian. Non right. So what, what happened in both countries is that uh, politics had started to have a, a bad connotation and there's a whole generation that doesn't want to get involved with politics, although what we're doing is you know, politics at, at its best, so... Yeah, uh, but what, if you look at uh, today, Lebanon and Iraq and Algeria to an extent, and Sudan, though Sudan is at, at a different stage of possible transformation, but Lebanon, uh, Iraq, you have, uh, it seems, a new generation of people who are out on the streets, and what's striking now, it seems to me, watching it over the years, is that the people who are going out on the streets now are really angry, some of them desperate, and they're no longer just idealistic young people, it's also middle-aged, all ethnicities, all groups from all over the country, uh, because they're fed up with being treated like this. Uh, do you see something qualitatively different about the current, meaning the last, say, nine months of protests in Lebanon? Definitely. 
It is definitely very different from what we've seen before, uh, for many reasons. Uh, one is the scope of it. Uh, it. This is the first time mobilization happens at this scale in all different regions at the same time. The, uh, there's also a, a major difference in, you know, it started, and I think we should not overlook the class composition of, uh, of at least the first few days. And this is why I think uh, uh, where the break really happened. So if we remember how it started, it was mainly uh, people from the less privileged uh, backgrounds. It was mainly the unemployed uh, who started mobilization and they were then joined by the middle classes and the working classes. You're talking about last October. I'm talking about October at the La beginning yeah, of October. Right, and this is why I think this was a breaking point and mm -hmm. it was qualitatively very, very different. Uh, from what happened before, because for uh, for even it was if it was an ephemeral moment somehow, but the beginnings we saw an alliance between the middle classes, the working classes, and the and the non-working classes mm -hmm. uh, that really threatened uh, the regime and how it works, uh, and it really threatened uh, you know the pillars of. Uh, what a sectarian consociational system is. Um, and, and there was something similar in Iraq, uh, with, I mean, a bit different, but uh, we can talk about it. But um, this, this is why I think there was a real threat. There was a moment where the, the regime really felt uh, threatened and unfortunately they were able to, uh, you know, to, to maneuver uh, and, and to, to co-opt in some ways. Uh, they've used the sectarian card yes. uh, from, uh, you know, from the very first week. But we, before they started using that, they used the tactic of repression. From the first day, it was clear repression. So uh, it is very different, but a different type of an explosion. Uh, I mean, I, I've called it from the beginning. It's a social explosion, and it's a it's a revolutionary uprising. It's not completely a revolution, and right. I don't want. I mean, I'm not very interested in the debates of whether it is or it isn't a revolution. I think if people in the street, academically, it is not a revolution, right? But if people in the streets are calling it a revolution, which is what happened from the first day, people were saying that this is a revolution. I think this is, this is very important because it shapes the political imaginaries of people. They ha you have to believe that you are leading a revolution in order for it to become a sort of uh, revolution. So. If it doesn't materialize, it, uh, uh, you know, history uh, ha is, is very complex and there are many factors that one ha has to look at. But I think there was a break and I think we have entered a different phase. Our main predicament is that we don't have the alternative organizations that are able to channel this anger in the streets into a political transition. And this is neither Lebanon nor Iraq? This is neither Lebanon or Iraq. And why do you which think is that what is? We, which is uh, the opposite of what we've seen in Sudan, for right. example. Yeah, right, Sudan was extraordinary. Um, or, or even Tunisia. Yeah. Uh, and this is where we see the importance of uh, unions uh, in both countries. The Professionals Association in Sudan, the UGTT in, in, uh, in Tunisia, have played a very important role in this transitional right. uh, period. And, uh, uh, because these are organizations that have a presence on the ground uh, that you know that represent the people and in some in moments like this there are historical moments in all revolutions where you need a leadership you cannot have a revolution without a leadership right, right? Uh, so the, at the beginnings, okay, uh, you know, we didn't want to name uh, uh, one or two individuals or, or a few, uh, but it cannot continue like this for a long time, and, and we need an alternative. Um, Do you sense from your research and your, your own um, activist participation 
and discussions with scholars and people in the street. Um, do you sense that this is now something they realize and that they need to uh, have some kind of uh, united face towards the government to say this is what we want and to maybe even sit with them like they did in Sudan and negotiate a transition? Yes, uh, I think everyone realizes the importance of uh, of having orga of organizing and having leadership. But I don't think we are yet at the point where we can talk about negotiation for many reasons. One of them is that this organization is not yet at a point where it can uh, represent the people. Right. right. So if you call for a strike and people don't strike, it means that you you know we don't have that leverage to block. And in Sudan. This is, uh, you know, it was mainly the strikes that, right. uh, and the importance of a strike in, in the sense of, of imposing a halt on the normality of the everyday, uh, which in Lebanon took the shape of, without us really being aware of it, you know, in the streets, but when we analyze it as researchers, road blockades at the beginning were a form of imposing a strike. People were trying to say, right. stop, right? Uh, don't go to work. Like they, we wanted to stop the system and, and this is the shape it took. And this is why I'm saying it's complex when we study the, the tactics and, and how people are mobilizing and what people are trying to do. Uh, when we analyze it, we see that it's, it's, very, much, it's very much about uh, stopping the economy, it's very much so striking, but it's also a, a very strong political message. It's trying to say we are strong and we need a seat, whether a negotiation, a negotiation table or just saying, you know, you, you move, we don't even negotiate. It's, it's right. like a downfall of a system and uh, um, putting in place another one. But there isn't this other one and right. there isn't anyone willing because we have uh, uh, from the very beginning rejected uh, very clearly the idea of a leadership, the idea of anyone representing uh, the system, right. the idea. And uh, again, I mean, I can go on for, for hours talking about how this is very much the product of the neoliberalization at the cultural level that has happened over, over the past uh, decade, two decades at least, right. uh, in Lebanon. And, uh, you know, this, a, a, a very high sense of individualism and activism uh, that defies the possibility of moving collectively at the political level. So we are still, even if we look at our campaigns, I mean, the, the best campaigns that happened in the past 20 years in Lebanon, and, and this is not to criticize, but this is really to, to reflect uh, together, uh, because I have a lot of respect for many of, I mean, I was part of some of them. But if we just look at how we have framed our activism, it's always centered around the individual, mm. right? Medinati, Lihaqi. It's always about the I. Even when, when uh, you know, the movement against the banks started, uh, people were spraying on the bank, yeah. give me back my money. We never said, give us back our money. Right. Uh, because there's an us that has not you know, shaped yet in the collective political imaginaries of our community. And this is what we need to look at, whether here or in Iraq. In Iraq, it started uh, with the same, the first movement that mobilized in October, it was, uh, it was under the, the banner of Nazal Akhut Haqqi. And this rhetoric of Lihaqi uh, in Lebanon, Nazal Akhut Haqqi, and many other, Badnan uh, Hasib, I mean, this whole, political rhetoric around law, rights, uh, 
is, is I find it a bit ab absurd in, in countries where the legal system is so collapsing right. <laughs> or so already collapsed right. that people still want to hold on to rights and, and to the courts and to the, you know, which are things that I'm starting to look at in my research and uh, that I'm, I'm really very interested in. How do we, uh, you know, how, wh why do we go back in our political framing to those rhetorics that on the ground don't really apply in our settings? Are we borrowing from elsewhere? Is it, uh, you know, are we longing for, for you know, a better uh, judicial system uh, where we can talk about rights and obligations? So I'm trying to understand better why we've, uh, you know, we've chosen those frames in our um, mo movements. So you said that this collective force doesn't really exist, but one of the striking things about what happened last October, November, December, was that in the public sphere, in the square, and the, and the uh, demonstrations all over the country, there was this sense that people felt they were part of a big, big group of citizens that all had a shared national mission. What happened to that? Did yes. that uh, exactly. What happens to this is that when it starts to translate into political organization or social organization, it goes back to the I, right? To the? To the individual, uh, I, instead I. of us. So it doesn't channel, it, it did not create those alternatives. And maybe it will. I mean, we need to give it time. Uh, but, but it has not uh, created politically a different entity. Mm -hmm. It's true that, I mean, the collective effervescence of, of, the, of the squares, the experience of, of the collective in this like liminal moment of the beginning where things were really intense. And this is also part of why I say it's a break with what uh, we've seen before. Although we also have to remember that we have seen things that are not exactly the same, but are, that are close. 2005, for example, there was, although it was limited to Beirut, but there was an experience that was maybe similar, and we've seen how, how it developed later. So um, it's only when we start to create those political entities that are able to represent this collective in a different way, that the, the experience of that revolutionary moment can be translated into a, a political process. Do you see any sign of this happening, for instance, in a political party? There are many attempts now. Um, so we will be hearing soon about different uh, parties, different... I mean, it's taking more the shape of uh, front or alliances or etc. Which is, which is very good, I think. But I also think that we are now in a different phase in this uh, revolutionary process, if you want. What I would call the counter-revolution has uh, the upper hand. And because uh, specifically the context of Lebanon, this is happening in the context of a free fall of the economy. Right. I don't want to be too, too pessimistic, but I, I fear that the composition you know, of the, the Lebanese political scape can easily turn into uh, a civil war. And, wow. and I, fear, I fear that we might be uh, going in that direction. I hope I'm wrong. Yes. Studying this, this country for many, many years, it can easily, it's not sliding into a civil war. This is a very wrong and misleading term. We never slide into a civil war. And it's never society that goes to war. Uh, war is a political decision. And if the sectarian politicians that are ruling us decide to go for a war, which is, in my understanding, is becoming more and more probable uh, because it could be one of their, what they think is a solution for the economic crisis. Wow. 
that could pump uh, the, the dollars if they don't go for the other solutions on the table. So it might not happen, but, uh, but usually, uh, historically, what, what has happened in Lebanon in, in situations where there is such a deadlock and there is a lot of social pressure is, is that the streets are used for a different more violent purpose. But the context is so different today with mass poverty and joblessness and the government doesn't have money and, and I mean it's just so radically different in terms of the pressures on, on, on the majority of families. The sectarian leaderships probably can't meet all their demands as they used to and therefore people are hoping something different will happen but nobody knows what it is. Yeah this is why I'm saying I mean what and I hope not, but it could be that, you know, if there is a decision, and of course this is a decision that will require a geopolitical approval, this could be a way to bring in the money, but it won't be through the state, it would be through, so it will, so which means that it would reinforce the clientelistic networks. Yeah, and you see some of this going on in Yemen and Libya and Somalia and other countries that have had Iraq, Syria, that have had... We've also started to see this in Lebanon with uh, leaders talking about protecting their own areas and distributing food right. and, you know. Actually, we've started to see this with the, the beginning of the COVID lockdown and the distribution of cleaning uh, products and other things. Right. And now it became food baskets. And this is why I'm saying they managed to reposition themselves in a very different position, in a position of strength compared to October, where they were really cornered and in, in, in crisis. And my fear is that we, we never know what exactly uh, the geo, and it's not exactly my field, so maybe someone in, in, in IR can tell us more. But if there is an appetite uh, regionally to, to pump money for a war in Lebanon, a proxy war, this could be one way for these leaders to reproduce themselves, and maybe this is what they're betting on. We, we only have time for one question. I want to combine two questions into one. What are you going to research next? And how does this whole situation of what you're discovering in your research impact back on AUB and your teaching and interdisciplinary collaborations and what's the role of the university? Yeah, so my research now, at least for the coming two years, is focused on... So I'm, I'm looking more at the question of uh, the political economy of sectarianism and uh, I'm, I'm starting to think about, you know, uh, very much in, in a parallel with literatures on race or, uh, or uh, so critical race theory or feminist theory. I'm starting to think about how do we understand sectarian capitalism or sectarian neoliberalism. In wow. um, relation also to, to popular uh, uprisings and, and the possibilities of change. Uh, so I'm, I'm working on that now. Uh, I'm also uh, writing a research on uh, the experiences of the square and uh, so the role of ordinary people in extraordinary times. Mm -hmm. But I think that this, uh, this whole experience and, um, and my own uh, uh, you know, research will definitely feed into our teaching at AUB where you know, I'm, I'm, I've taught last semester a seminar on sectarianism. Uh, this year I'm teaching a seminar on social movements. Uh, but also the importance of interdisciplinarity. So we are launching, hopefully next year, uh, a new diploma in development studies. It's, it's actually a diploma in uh, critical development studies, uh, where we will be thinking from the vantage point of disciplines like sociology, anthropology, uh, political science, e uh, economics, critically about the field of development, what it means, in the context of a region where, uh, you know, uh, issues of 
uh, refugees, migration, gender, uh, but also political economy, uh, social inequality. Uh, what, what does this whole very exceptional situation of a revolution combined with pandemic mean socially? How do we think about social protection, etc.? So we are uh, developing this, uh, this program where uh, we will be uh, reflecting critically, uh, preparing our students to, you know, to be able to deal with those questions, whether it's uh, through research for those who want to continue in uh, research track, or being able to work in, uh, in, in the organizations, which is uh, what, what the, you know, the, the job market is today. Right. Uh, but also uh, th uh, using what, uh, you know, the critical thinking they learn at AUB to make a difference where they are. Well, there's a lot of things happening in society for you to study and for your students to learn about. Professor Rima Majid, thank you very much for being with us. And we will connect again, I'm sure, in the future to see what's going on in this field. Professor Rima Majid is Assistant Professor of Sociology uh, with a focus on uh, political sociology, uh, sectarianism, and social movements. Thank you. You bet. And thanks to our uh, audience for being with us for this episode of Professors at Work, where we talk to AUB faculty and scholars about the research they're doing, what they're finding, and why it matters to the world. I'm your host, Rami Khouri. Thanks for joining us, and join us again next week. <laughs>